Father, I pray today that you give us ears to hear and eyes to see, hearts with fertile soil, minds to comprehend, feet that want to run with obedience. I pray that as we talk about grace, that the power of grace would empower us and transform us to live godly lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Today's message as we're going through the series of Grace Upon Grace. Today's message is about being transformed by grace. Now, what's interesting about this is I believe, based upon a study, that today's message will be completely different than a grace message that you've ever heard. It, I think there's a good chance it will be. Not that I've come up with a revolutionary idea. That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm saying the way that grace has been taught or the way that we have chose to hear about grace, um, yeah, I think today will be different. But one of the biggest issues that we have to deal with in the Christian church is grace. What are we to do with it? I do want to be clear, though. Grace is the most important concept we as believers are to understand. Now, grace regarding salvation is clear. Amen? You and I cannot earn our way to heaven. You guys uh, remember the scripture, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So it's not about works, it's about grace, and that's how we make it to heaven. Come on, somebody. Amen. Ohio State didn't even play last night, and y'all are sleeping. Does that mean you were really partying? This is paramount, and that's probably why we're sleepy today. Because this message, God's message of grace, absolutely transforms our lives. I want to ask the question, and I also want us to participate. It means we're going to raise our hand, I'm going to call on you, and you're going to shout something out. When you hear the word grace... What do you think about participating church? Stu raised his hand and you said what? Love. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Mercy. Patience. There was something else? Acceptance. Hope. Hope. My mother. My mother. Salvation. Salvation. Anything else? I think for the rest of eternity, we could probably share about grace. Grace, to most of us, has been defined as this. Undeserved favor. Something that is freely given. We count on and believe in grace to build our relationship to Christ because it's not about works, it's about what? Grace. Yet most of the church, 
even today, has never heard grace as the empowerment to transform our lives to overcome sin. Most of the church has thought about grace as forgiveness and patience and mercy and love and salvation. When we hear grace, that's what comes to our mind. And I would say grace is that. But where we haven't taught grace well is grace is so much more. I want to say this and I want to make it clear. Grace is so much more than a cover-up. We've often in the church thought that grace was just a cover-up that allowed us to live as we desired. The church doesn't think of grace as something that transforms us to overcome sin. Grace is typically thought of as fire insurance or a ticket to heaven. You're like, Joey, I thought you were preaching on grace today. This is supposed to be an easy message that was supposed to encourage me that I can just, in my weakest, Joey, what you were supposed to tell me is I could sleep with Potiphar's wife and God's grace would forgive me. Joey, you were supposed to tell me that I could be mad at my brothers and my family for casting me away and God's grace would forgive me. And I would say grace does do that. But if that's all that grace does for us, then we're missing the mark. Grace is so much more. And here's what I want to say. Grace is the primary source God uses to transform our lives. Grace does that. And I was thinking, um, as I was trying to share more about the purpose of grace, it made me think of Luke and Stu when they went to Africa. And when they went to Africa, one of the things that they were trying to raise money for was to have money to help provide a vehicle for Luke's friend, Ibrahim. Is it a uh or Ibrahim? Ibrahima. So they wanted to provide a vehicle, so we collected money. Luke raised some money through some other sources, had enough money, and they ended up being able to get Ibrahima a vehicle. Now, what do we know about vehicles? Vehicles help us go from point A to point B a whole lot quicker than if they do not. Um, Esther is not here today. Maybe she's listening to the message, but Esther still drives a horse and buggy. <laughs> if you know, you know. A vehicle, a car, can go a whole lot further than a horse and buggy. It can also go a whole lot quicker. So when Luke bought the SUV, the idea is this. Not only can you go to and from, but you can also load stuff up, potentially pull a trailer, get chores done easier, offer some protection while you're driving when it's storming. But if when, not if, when Luke and when Stu go back to Africa, 
and they see that the vehicle that they purchased is still sitting in the same spot, and it hasn't been driven, but all that they've been using it for is a seat to sit in during the day, what would we say? We haven't communicated to you what a vehicle can do. That's kind of the way that grace has been taught to us. Is we are using grace to sit in it rather than grace to move us. And if grace has only been taught to us as a cover-up, then grace is never going to move us closer to God. We're never going to fool, if we only think of grace as a cover-up, we're never going to be able to turn on the AC or go 50 miles an hour or utilize the power that grace has that it was intended. So I want to tell you today that grace is so much more than you want it to be, and grace is so much more than it's been taught to us. So grace in its real form transforms us and it empowers us. Grace, again, isn't just fire insurance. And I want to prove this to you according to Scripture. Grace is not fire insurance. Grace is not just a ticket to heaven. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 9. Here it is, verse 7. Or because of these surpassing great revelations... Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. So Paul pleads with God to remove this issue in his life. Doesn't this sound familiar? Anyone in here right now pleading with God to fix something? Oh, come on, somebody. If we are not, then we need, we need to call tent meetings. We need to call revival services here at the church. If we are not, we're dead. We better be pleading with God. So we've been in those places where we've been pleading with God, will you please take this from me? We all have issues or sins that we deal with. And when we deal with them, we do two things. We continue to do them because our understanding of God's grace is he will overlook them. So we remain in them. Or we ask God to remove them. Now what's interesting is simply put, we do not feel qualified or equipped to overcome the issue presented. So we become okay with the sin and then after we sin, we say this, thank God for his grace. Come on, somebody. That's what we say. We get frustrated, we deal with something, 
and we go to it over and over and over again. I'm like, I can't ever do this because I don't feel the power to overcome this. So we do it, and then we thank God for his grace. And then the next day or hours later, we do it again. Grace is more than that. Because that's not what grace is. We do not get to know what Paul's struggle was. What we do know is what his problem was, is it bothered him. Whatever it was, it bothered him. And God's response to Paul was interesting. He didn't say he was going to take it. He also didn't give Paul to continue to live into it. There was no permission for Paul to live into it. What did God say to Paul? Here's what he told Paul. He said, Paul, you have everything you need in God's grace to overcome it. That's grace. Paul, you have everything in me to overcome your sin. And here's where we have to choose as a church today, as individuals, do I want to keep on hearing this message or do I want to leave? Because today's message, and as I've studied for weeks, this message puts personal responsibility in me to make a choice. Do I want to follow God or do I want to continually live under this idea of grace? Because what I want to live under, what I want, really want to live under is I really want to live under this idea of I can lead my own life. I don't have anything it takes to overcome sin. And God knows that. So since God knows that, then I can live however I want. Now, again, we're not talking going out and living like the world, right? We're just talking about the small stuff. Right? Just the small stuff. Now, I'm not ready to fully preach this. I would like to present this, um, throw it up in the air. Um, the law was given through Moses, right? So they received the law, and in the law, we have the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Put other gods before me. So under this law, the law that God sent through Moses, what was interesting is the law was presented in you shall not commit adultery. So what was that? You should not you got to stay with me. You shall not commit physical adultery, right? And then Jesus comes. And then what did Jesus come? He came to fulfill the law, and then Jesus brought grace, right? So when Jesus appeared, and, and here's what he said in the Sermon on the Mountain. He said, you've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. But Jesus, who brought grace, what did he say? But I tell you, I tell you what? Even if you look after a woman with lust, you've committed adultery. What standard was higher? It seems like the law of grace was higher. Because the law of grace was if you just think about it. The law of Moses was if you do it. We've never thought about that, have we? I see your bubbles going. Only for those who are listening, though. The rest of you are thinking about that fried chicken. Like, is that Kentucky Fried? Is that Lee's? The law of grace 
has a higher standard than the law presented through Moses. So what we want is we want God to just overlook our mess. But God didn't give Paul permission to continue to live in it. The church, you and I, has limited grace to justification. So forgiveness. We've limited grace to forgiveness rather than sanctification becoming holy. Grace works out sanctification, us becoming more like him. What God said was this, is Paul, you have everything you need to overcome. We have powerless churches today. We have powerless people today because we think that grace is limited to forgiveness. Because if all we've ever been taught is that all that grace does is forgives us, if all we've ever been taught is that the vehicle is here to sit in, then we're never going to drive it away. If all that grace has taught us is that it's about forgiveness, then we're never going to utilize the power. So when God addresses Paul, he said, my grace is sufficient for my power. 2 Corinthians 12, God describes his grace as power. Amen? So he says, my grace is sufficient for my power. Grace is power. Now, you and I wouldn't disagree that grace is power. But within the context of how we understood grace, most believe that grace is limited to the power of forgiving sins. But that is not just the case. Grace is power. And I want to show you a couple other areas in the Bible where grace is power. 2 Peter 1. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. So here Peter's talking about grace, right? So grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So Peter here is referencing grace. And then when he's referencing grace, in the same sermon, talk, letter, sentence almost, he says this, my grace or his grace, but also his power. And then he continues to say this, his grace, his divine power has given you everything you need to live a godly life through our knowledge of him. So what Peter's telling us is when you're sitting there at work and you want to talk about Sharon, you want to gossip about Sharon because in your mind you're thinking all these horrible things about her. Or how about this? When you're tempted to lust or to fib or to fornicate or get drunk or cross a boundary that God's put before you, what Peter's telling us is this, is his grace isn't just there for you to do it and then say, thank you, God, you forgive me. 
what his grace is there for is his grace comes with power and his power gives you everything. His grace and his power gives you everything you need to live a godly life. If you are a believer in Jesus today, you have everything you need to live a godly life. We don't like to hear this. This message of grace destroys everything in our life. It messes everything up. It messes up my speech, my thought, my career, my effort. Because what I tell God is, I tell God, I say, God, all I need is a microphone. If I just had a microphone, right? If I just, if I just had this, then I could overcome this. But since I don't have this, God, since I don't have everything, since I don't have everything I need, you're just going to forgive me. Peter says, we have everything. Let me continue. Acts uh, 6, verse 8. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Much of my Christian walk, probably much of your Christian walk, we have lived declaratively as righteous. We sin, we mess up. And, and, and there's an aspect of that. I'm not, how did we start the sermon today, right? How do we earn our way to heaven? You don't. It is by grace through faith. Today's message is not a works gospel at all. Today's message is about understanding the transformative power that comes through God's grace. And we've been taught for years, or we haven't listened well enough for years to think that grace only overlooks. Amen? So I'm not going to put up with you saying, Joey, you're preaching works, because this is not it. It is not about works. Peter, a man full of grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Grace and power. So as I was saying, much of my Christian walk, I declaratively lived as righteous. God, I know I'm a sinner, but I declare myself righteous because of the blood. But Peter is telling us, Acts is telling us, that we have the ability to live a godly life because of grace and power. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. But by the grace Paul is saying, because of God's grace, here in 1 Corinthians, here's what he's saying. Because of God's grace, he has grown into the person that he is today. This meant that God's grace transformed him. It didn't keep him as he was. So Paul's saying, my life has become different since following Christ. 
Paul wasn't justifying remaining in murdering believers, remaining with whatever this thorn in the flesh was. 1 Corinthians also tells us this, that uh, Paul describes grace as the enabling power of his work. Grace is the enabling power of his work. It is not simply to pardon his sins. It is the power to press into obedience. Paul said because of God's grace, he worked harder than anyone. Not because he chose to, but because of God's grace. Paul said this didn't happen because he himself desired it. It happened because God's grace transformed him and empowered him. Grace empowers us to take personal ownership. So when we receive grace, it isn't to remain as we are. We are to live as transformed beings. Now how can I prove to you, right, that God isn't talking about grace as justification or forgiveness, but rather it's about sanctification and becoming holy. In today's message, how can I tell you that this is about sanctification? Well, grace most often in the New Testament, and specifically within the context of today, in the original language is the word haras. Now, the meaning of the word is this, of the merciful kindness by which God, exerting his holy influence upon souls, turns them to Christ, keeps, strengthens, increases them in Christian faith, knowledge, affection, and kindles them to exercise of the Christian virtues. In other words, God's divine influence upon the hearts of his uh, people to live out his way. Grace is God's divine influence upon the believer's heart to live out his way. The original language, that's what grace is. Grace is supposed to help you and empower you to live out the way that he said before you. How many of you guys love this message today? I hope you love it because it, it will transform your life. Next week we're talking about freedom. <laughs> yeah. Grace intends to transform us to take action and live out God's way. If we continue to think that grace is more about allowing us to live in sin than it is transforming us so that we don't live in sin, then we are missing the mark and we will live powerless lives. Amen? Not only do we get to live with grace and power that transforms us, we are his own. So he gives us grace and power. But we are his own. And not only are we his own, we are his children. And as his children, what does he tell us? That we were born again. And therefore, what that means is because we're born again and he lives inside of us, the very nature of God lives 
within us. The very nature of God is supposed, not supposed to, the very nature of God lives in his sons and daughters' hearts, period. Period. Now what's interesting is one of my favorite scriptures, you guys know it, Matthew 7. Lord, Lord, that's where we're going to stop today. I'm not going to talk about the prophesying. I'm not going to talk about the performing miracles or deliver demons. I'm not going to talk about knowing because he says plainly I tell you I never knew them, right? You guys understand the scripture. How about this? Lord, Lord, stop there. How many years has the Christian church taught that being saved is by just saying a prayer? And there's going to be people who say, Lord, Lord. So these are the people who prayed the prayer. 2 Timothy 3 talks about there's going to be people who appear to have God's power. Uh, They're trying to live godly lives, but they're denying the power. These might be the people who said the prayer, but never lived by the grace of God and lived transformed lives. Scripture also tells us this. That if you want to see God, you must be holy. I want to see God. I must possess a holiness. I have to take personal ownership of that. Ownership is paramount. And when we face God one day, as Matthew 7 tells us, we can't just say, Lord, Lord. Because you know what? The demons, what do they also know God as? Lord. They recognize his power. But the demons also do something a little bit more than we do. What do the demons do? They tremble. We don't even, we don't, we have a generation of believers that don't even fear God. Lord, Lord. And he says, away from me, I never knew you. So how, by grace and power, do we move forward? Well, we have his nature. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. The old is gone, the new is here. Here's why we have not lived in power lives. Because the church has told people that grace covers everything and that's it. All that your vehicle is good for is sitting here. We have not been preached that grace does so much more. Grace is the fuel to the vehicle to allow it to do everything that it needs in life. So if if we only limit grace, we're missing it. We can't miss it anymore. We have, we are a new creation. You, if you put your faith in Christ, if you're trying to obey him, if you're living under grace, you're a new creation. So when you're a new creation, what does that mean? The old is gone and the new is here. A new way of living has arrived. And what that means is 
we hate the worldly things that come up in our life. So we have a new nature. How about this? Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So what's being prophesied here, what's being said here? That God's going to give you a new heart. And where the church has fallen short is we say, I don't need a new heart because of God's grace. I can keep on living exactly how I'm living. And again, we don't compare ourselves to God. We compare ourselves to the world. And since we compare ourselves to the world, we're better than the world. So we just remain powerless. What we're told is we're given a new heart that has transformed us so that we can live powerful lives. Because of God's grace, his spirit lives within us. And if we are living by grace and his spirit, we say no to the flesh. Grace empowers us to say no to the flesh. <laughs> Ephesians 3.19. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So what's being said here is that the fullness of God, that we're going to be filled, a desire for us to be filled with the fullness of God. How many of us want to be filled with the fullness of God? Yes. I want that. So we're a new creation. He's giving us a new heart. He desires to fill us with the fullness of God. 1 John 4, 17. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the days of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. So as he is, who's the he? This is Jesus. As Jesus is, so we will be in this world. So what that's telling us is not when we get to heaven can we be like Jesus. What, it's, what, what the scripture's telling us is here on earth we can be like Jesus. Here on earth we can be like Jesus. No one saw you drop your bottle, Jonathan. <laughs> We're going to act like it. We're going to act like it didn't happen. So, because of grace, we get to be like Jesus in this world. Because of grace, we get to be like Jesus. Not because of grace, we get to be like the world. You see the difference? Because of grace, we get to be like Jesus. Not because of grace, we get to be like the world. How many of us have thought because of grace, we get to be a little bit like the world? And I hope scripturally today... I'm saying that grace is more, and I hope that you're hearing it. How about this? Acts 17. For in him we live and move and exist 
as some of our, sorry, some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. You are the offspring of God. Because of grace, we are his offspring. This means that as his offspring, we have his nature. So the offspring of a lion does not have the nature of a human, right? The offspring of God has the nature of God. I hope we're confronted today. I hope we're confronted with how far we have fallen short with the idea of grace. Because what scripture is supposed to lead us to is what? An R word, repentance. Repentance, God, I have fallen short. So since we are the offspring of God, and because of his grace, we are empowered and transformed to overcome sin. We are capable of saying no to the world and to flesh. We are capable. I'm telling you, you have everything you need in God and through grace to overcome sin. Because God's Grace transforms us. Now, you say, Joey, I've said the prayer. Lord Jesus, I put my faith in you. But salvation is more than a prayer. So the question is this. Okay, look, grace empowers us. It transforms us. Okay, whatever, right? Um, I have the very nature of God living in me. Okay, fine. But then the question is, well, if that's true, how do I live by grace? How do I live in grace? Well, God tells us um, grace in its real form empowers and it transforms us. So Titus 2 teaches us what grace is going to do in our life if we pay attention to it. Verses 11 through 13. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. We address that at the very beginning, right? It is by grace through faith that we are saved. So that's how we have salvation. But even here in the book of Titus, it's not stopped there, right? It continues. Verse 12. Here's what grace does. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness. So when the thoughts come to our mind, when the thoughts come to our mind, I'm going to cuss at this person. I'm going to lust after this person. I'm going to gossip about this person. I'm going to steal just a little bit. I'm going to fib just a little bit. I'm going to accuse just a little bit. When that thought comes to our mind and then we're like, well, hey, God's grace will cover me. Is that biblical? It's not. Because what Titus is telling us here is actually just within a few verses, as it says, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Great, the grace of God appeared. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness. So that means when I'm tempted to whatever, the grace of God is going to teach me to say no to that. The grace of God is not going to teach me to say, God, your grace forgives me. 
So it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So grace changes us if we say yes. Grace has the power to be more than a declarative statement within our lives. We don't have to declaratively live righteously anymore because the very nature of God is within us. I'm not saying you're going to be perfect. I'm not saying you're not going to struggle. But we have accepted to struggle too much rather than living with the power. According to Scripture, grace will teach us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. It teaches us to live self-control. It teaches us to live upright lives. It teaches us to live during this ever-changing world, this present age. But when the rubber hits the road, we only see grace's primary reason as being forgiveness rather than empowerment and transformation. Today, if you need to re-listen to the message, I think you should. Go back and study these scriptures because grace is here to transform you. It's like a um, hammer's job, kind of the way that we understand grace. It's like a hammer's job primarily being a paperweight. If a hammer was only a paperweight, it wouldn't be living into its potential, right? If grace is only forgiveness, then we're missing the point. It's so much more. So because we have turned our back on the fullness of grace, we've kind of done this... um, we kind of do two things, right? So, yeah, so because we've turned our back on the fullness of grace, we do two things. The first thing we do because we've turned our back on the fullness of grace is we become legalistic to clear our conscience. We just start judging ourselves and judging others and setting up these rules and regulations, so we become legalistic. The other thing that we do, because we don't want to live in the fullness of grace, is we invent doctrine to eliminate sin. So because I don't want to live in the fullness of grace, I'm just going to change the Bible, and um, then I'll feel justified, right? Both of those ways are sin. We can't be legalists, and then we also can't change the Bible. The Bible is truth. And what the truth that the Bible is telling us today is that if we receive grace in its fullness, we're going to live in power lives and transform lives, and we're not going to deal with the things that we used to deal with. Do you believe that the Bible is true, yes or no? Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins? Yes. Do you believe that he rose from the grave? Yes. Do you believe, three days later, right? Do you believe that he was born of virgin birth? Yes. Do you believe that he lived a perfect life, that he died a death you were supposed to die and 
lived a life we were supposed to live? Do you believe that he's God's only son? Yes, yes, yes. Yes, do you believe that if you put your faith in him, if you repent of your sins, it is by grace you have been saved through faith that you and I can have eternal life with him? Do you believe that? Yes. Okay, one of the things that I hate, one of the things that I hate, I don't like being half in. That's why like one Sunday you might come in and I'm just completely bald-headed. I keep on telling Macy I don't like playing this half game. I hate it. One way or the other, hot or cold, I, I, pick. Right? But what we do as the church is we speak out of both sides of our mouth. We say, Jesus, I believe everything about the gospel and your word. I believe that your grace covers and smothers my sin. But when it comes to your grace empowering me, I don't believe it. I don't want to believe it. I can't believe it because I'm not going to take personal responsibility. And I think what God's calling you and I to today is he's saying, I want you to live a powerful life. I want you to live a transformed life. And I want you to believe the words of my scriptures. And I want you to trust me to live a life transformed by grace. You know one of the things that I look forward most to getting rid of in this life is the wrestling that you have with God over things that are ungodly. That constant turmoil and wrestling and fighting of trying to live a godly life. And as I read this, um, these scriptures and I study and I pray through this, what I'm is, recognizing is I haven't given grace its due. I have a shortcome. Like I have, um, yeah, I, ha I just haven't given grace all that it's worthy of. I have justified too many things because of God's grace. So today's message is hard. And I, as I said, this is not a message of works. This is a message of the fullness of grace. Grace in its reality. So I just want to give us an opportunity today to respond. An impromptu, Chad, can you come up here and slap the bass? <laughs> Don't slap the bass. I want to give us an opportunity to respond to God today. Because even as I preach the things that I've worked through over the past several weeks, um, it comes up in me, right? Do I, do I double down and tell Joey it's wrong, what he's preaching, and harden my heart? Or do I come to this place of repentance? Say, you know what, God? I have done so many things in the name of grace that put a nail, that nailed you to the cross. 
I have done so many things in the name of grace that I thought were allowed because of grace, because I thought that grace was more about forgiveness than sanctification. I thought that grace was more about forgiveness and justification than it was sanctification. I just wanna give you an opportunity to respond to him today and say, I'm sorry. Because I, as, as I go through this today, even in my own heart, it's, God, I've taken advantage of you. You have given me everything I need to live a godly life. His grace was so good that when his grace came, when he came, he didn't leave you empty-handed. For his power is made full in our weakness. His power is strongest in our weakness. So I just want to give you an opportunity today to respond to him at the altar. The scary walk to the altar. Maybe you say, God, I want to know more about your grace. Joey didn't do a good job preaching it, but I want to know what the fullness of grace is. I want to know it today. So you come up here just as a response to him, God, I want to know more about your grace. Or maybe today you're like, God, I need to repent because I've taken advantage of your grace. And you say, is taking advantage of God's grace even, um, even a thing? I think so. Not in a legalistic way. But he just wants us to know that we have everything we need today. You have everything you need today. Amen? So, Father, I pray that we would respond to you. Father, I pray that we would repent of our sins that we just habitually get stuck in because of grace. I pray that we would turn to what grace really is today. Grace is the fullness of your Son, the very nature of God living within us to live transformed and holy lives. Jesus' name. I'm just going to ask that you guys will respond. And if we turn on the lights in here a little bit, please, let's just uh, respond to him. say there's some breakthrough for some people today at the altar. Not that I get any rewards in heaven or from the church if you respond. We don't collect numbers or even count people. But I just feel like God's putting it on some people's hearts to respond this morning at the altar and he's just like identify with him that way, right? To say yes to him. Blessed are those who listen and obey God. So I feel like there's breakthrough.
just wanted to see if there was any strong word from God or a confession that someone wanted to make. Picture, a scripture that God has given. Is there anyone in here who's maybe said a prayer once before? I'm not trying to get you resaved. You can't get resaved. But is there anyone in here who recognizes they've never given their life to Christ and needs to do that today? today I pray that we wouldn't live powerless lives Father today we make the declarative statement not about righteousness but about your power Father today we declare in this room and in our lives that we will live powerful lives we will live transformed lives by grace Father, you have given us everything we need to live holy lives. And Father, the New Testament standard is high. Father, when we are weak, you are strong. But I pray that this week when temptation comes, we would quote scripture, Father. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ than think about how to gratify the desires of our sinful nature. Father, when temptation comes, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. Empower us this week, Father. Transform us this week. And I just feel like I hear his voice saying, you can't be transformed until you let go. You can't be transformed until you let go. So, Father, may we let go today. May we let go today, Father. recurring for the last few weeks, but a few years ago when I moved back here um, from overseas, and I thought I was in a good space with the Lord, and then I had an encounter with Jesus one day where he came to me and he just very plainly said, I want to stay in your house today, and I very quickly realized something came up in my spirit that I didn't expect. And I was thinking about all these things that I had in the house that shouldn't be there. And I was like, 
no, he can't come in. And I didn't, I didn't expect that. I thought, the Lord says he wants to dine with me. I'm going to let him in. And instead, I thought about all these things that were in these cupboards and cabinets. And I was like, I got to get this place cleaned up. You can't stay in my house. Like, no way. And then now, a few years later, I find myself, you know, we get busy in our lives and we just start to neglect things, right? The dishes pile up, the laundry piles up, stuff piles up. And before we know it, the house is a mess again. And when I take an evaluation of my life, I realize so often how messy it still is, but it's different now. I'm like, Jesus, this is your house. It's your temple. I'm sorry I let it get so messy. I'm sorry it's gross in here, but the only way I'm gonna get this cleaned up is if you help me. And I don't want you to leave because if you leave, I won't have any strength to clean it up. So please, here's my mess. Open everything you want. Take a look at it. See it. Check it out. Don't care. It's all laid out before you. But I need you here, and I want you here, and I'm sorry it's gross, but help me clean it up again. So I just want to encourage you guys with that. Just Jesus doesn't care about the mess. Just he wants to help you clean it up, and that's what that power is all about. Stay there. Hold up. So if you need help cleaning up your house today, I want you to do is to stand up and then Luke's going to pray for you. I'm standing up. My house needs help cleaned up. Now don't just stand up because everyone else is cleaned up. Maybe your house is clean. Jesus, we thank you so much that you have given us everything that we need for life and godliness in you. But we are hopeless <laughs> and we are lost and we are bound for destruction without you in our lives, Lord. So we just plead your mercy and your grace over our lives. And we just ask you to come in today. We open our hearts, we open every cabinet, every cupboard, every hidden thing that we've got in our lives. And we just say, take a look at it, take it all in. Help us clean it up. Help us to look to you, to not be ashamed of the things that we've walked through, but to be empowered by your grace to live holy lives before you, Jesus. And may today just be a turning point um, of repentance in our lives, that as we walk out of this place today, that, um, that we would be empowered to be changed, to be different, to be marked by you. In Jesus' name, we thank you and we love you. Amen.